Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to first, uh, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5. We'll get to First Peter shortly. And then, of course, we'll celebrate at the conclusion of our service, the Lord's Supper, uh, what we just sang about. And we'll do our best to tie all of these themes together and remind ourselves of uh, what we have in Christ, to remind ourselves of, of all of the amazing blessings, all of the amazing promises, and in fact, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I want to address the topic of freedom this morning from a very different and, and I hope interesting perspective. I believe it to be a very important perspective that is lost in our culture and swallowed up at times by this notion of libertine freedom. And we'll define what libertine freedom means shortly. But I'm afraid that uh, we live in a culture in the West today that has forgotten much of what uh, the founding fathers intended for Western civilization, and particularly for America, a freedom that was couched in this, this reality of, of a constitution, a reality of, uh, for the many, a gathering together, coming from all different places for a oneness, a, a unity of, of a nation bound by its constitution, bound by its laws, and bound by the common ground that we have in freedom. Much of that is eroding before our very eyes, and I believe there's a very biblical reason for that. And although we don't expect the world to live and abide by biblical principles and admonitions, there's much to be said about the truth of Scripture and uh, taking our, our freedoms and turning them into a bondage of sorts, a very negative kind of thing. We do it in our own personal lives. We do it sometimes in Christianity, but the world at large does it as well. And I believe it's resulted in some significant conflict and division in the United States. And the freedom that we've had is no longer a freedom achieved in a nation for the collective good but an absolute personal freedom in the pursuit of self. Our own particular whims, we believe that the culture, we believe that the church, we believe that the politicians, we believe that everything's at our beck and call when we say jump for you to say how high. And in the midst of that radical individualism, we become very whimsical, even to such a, a ridiculous degree of thinking that when our mood changes or our mind changes or we need something, that, that we can just demand that of God and He's going to rush to our rescue and give us everything that we want. Such is so trivial that even sometimes when we get a day off of work and it rains, we're like, I can't believe that. Like God owes us something, like sun, sunshine. Not only does God not owe us anything, He has given us everything. That's the real nature of freedom. So as we talk about that freedom this morning and as we, we wrestle through this freedom to and not from, 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 we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5 and we'll flip back then to 1 Peter and remind you of our study and, and then we'll go even uh, back to, to Romans and talk about uh, the true nature of freedom. But all of that, of course, and this day of freedom to remind ourselves of what we have in Christ and how we have been called to live. May we be attentive to how we've been called to live. Pray with me, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity 
gather in this place to worship, uh, to celebrate You, to be reminded of our faith, to be reminded of the glories of that faith, to be reminded of our responsibilities, and even in a sense, to be thankful to live in a nation that is free and allows us and affords us such opportunities as to gather like this in openness without fear of retribution, but we're also well aware that things are beginning to change. I pray that as we sort this out, we would realize the danger of living for self and rejecting the freedoms that we have within the framework, whether that be a nation, whether that be a church, whether that be us as individuals. And I pray that as we sort this out, that uh, we would be free to and not from. As we spend the rest of our time explaining what that means and what that looks like, I pray that as it fleshes out, uh, you would be glorified. So, encourage us as we spend some time in Your Word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, the Scriptures say, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Now, certainly in the context of this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is dealing with believers. And as he's dealing with believers, he's instructing us about our freedoms. And as he begins to instruct us about our freedoms, he draws our attention back to Christ. And as he draws our attention back to Christ, he draws our attention away from the things of the flesh and towards the things of the Spirit. And, and as, we, as we look at the text and get to that, it's important to understand that, that I believe that the essence of this text by principle speaks to a number of different issues that we face in our society today in this whimsical nature of life where everyone seems to be at our beck and call. I used to have this little saying. It was a poster in my brother's office when he was a financial aid director, and it went something like this, a lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on on my behalf. 
the truth of the matter is, that's how we live our lives. We're so self-consumed and, and so demanding that we expect that, that everybody just, just kind of rush to our aid. And when we demand something, it's, it's there. You see it in the impatience even in restaurants today. You see it in traffic lights. You see it in the grocery store line, right? You know, 20 items or less, and the person behind you kind of looking over your shoulder, counting the number of things in your cart for, God forbid, you get ahead of them somehow. How do we get here as a culture? Well, I think as a culture, we have forgotten the very foundation and basis of the nation and the Constitution and and the melting pot called America where everybody comes and assimilates and and we become one. It doesn't mean we all think alike or we all do alike, but, but there's a structure and an order to Western civilization, and particularly America. But today, even by those who are in charge, it seems like we're turning a blind eye to that structure and order. The Constitution is now a living document. We can, we can make it say whatever we want it to say. No, you can't. The culture needs to bend to my, my morality. It needs to, to bend to my ethos or ethic. It needs, to, it needs to shape itself according to my fashion. No, that is a dangerous thing when everybody does what's right in their own eyes, and it robs us of unity. And here's what it does eventually. It brings us into bondage. And I believe this is exactly what's happening in our culture today. This radical individualism and the rejection of what binds us together as a nation is the very thing that's going to destroy us because it pits us against each other. And we're all in these little tribes, and there's conflict constantly. And when that happens, there are a few who rise to the top, who begin to take control over absolutely everything. Tell me that's not a picture of our culture today. Absolute autonomous freedom always leads to bondage and burden and heartache. It happens on a national level, but it happens on a personal level as well. We must reject this notion of libertine freedom. Let's define that if, if we could for a second. Libertine freedom is, is a freedom that rejects any kind of boundaries, especially moral boundaries, ethical boundaries, social boundaries, sexual boundaries. Uh, Libertine freedom says, I deserve to live a life free from constraint. I can live any way I want. I can do anything I want, and there should be no consequences to the way I live or to the things that I do. Again, doesn't it remind you a little bit of our culture today? where arson is one man's crime who goes to prison, it's another man's protest, and it's the same thing. Well, you can't do anything about it because we live in this libertine kind of notion. There's no libertine freedom talked or spoken of in the Bible. In fact, libertine freedom rejects the reality that there's order in the universe. It rejects the reality that there's a distinction in creation. It rejects the reality that there are moral absolutes, and it rejects the reality that there are ethical considerations to what we do, to how we live, to the culture at large. Now, contrary to that libertine freedom where there are no boundaries and there are no constraints, uh, and, and, and there's nobody in this culture that can tell me what to do, it's a rejection of any kind of hierarchy, we can trace it back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And when we chase it back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we can go to Romans chapter 1, and Romans chapter 1 says, even though the world 
Western civilization, the United States, and maybe you this morning, think that you're entitled to some libertarian freedom where there are no rules and nobody can tell you what to do, leads to conflict and chaos, and God eventually gives you over to that conflict and chaos, and you become in bondage to that conflict and chaos, and you worship the creature more than the Creator. And that's exactly what leads to this radical individualism that permeates and dominates our culture today. Make no mistake about it, even the most foolish person and godless person knows that there's an order in creation. When a child comes out of the womb, our response is, boy or girl? It's not, well, let's wait seven years and see what happens here. There's order. There's distinction. It is, it is clear. As we wrestle through this reality, we, run, we recognize that there's, there, there's relationships and an ethos of relationships in, in culture. There's life and death in culture. But you see, to embrace libertarian freedom is to reject the order of creation, which ultimately is the rejection of whom? God. God. And the rejection of God into culture is eventually their downfall and their undoing. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that God has made Himself known. It is plain to, to all people, not just to the believer, to, to all people. God is plain. this order to the universe. And there's no excuse for breaking that order or demanding libertarian freedom. In order to have that libertarian freedom, no boundaries, no constraints, I can do whatever I want, nobody can tell me what to do, leads to exchanging the glory of God for the glory of man. And eventually God gives us up to those desires, and we worship and serve the creature rather than creator, and our shameless passions, and we return to the very bondage we've been delivered from. There's a short distance between the libertarian freedom of the world and what's happening in biblical Christianity today, in evangelical Christianity today. You're going to hear the same libertarian chants, or libertine, excuse me, chants in biblical Christianity today. Nobody has a right to tell me what to do. Nobody has the right to tell me I can't do that. Nobody gets to make my decisions for me. I am free in Christ. Well, let's just stop for a second. You are indeed free in Christ, but you're not free to do whatever you want to do with no constraints. And you're not free to the order of creation. And you're not free to the structure of the culture. And you're certainly not free for the consequence of how you choose to live your life. But I, I encounter this all the time, more and more, in recent years in Christianity. The rejection of all social structure, the rejection of submission to those who are in authority, the rejection of any kind of authority who, who, who calls us into account and says, you, you can't do that, the rejection of any constraint. I'm free in Christ. I get to do whatever I want to do. That is kind of an odd Christianity, isn't it? No, not really. It's not a Christianity at all. It's contra-Christianity. God rescued you not to give you the freedom to do whatever you want to do. He rescued you to be free from sin that controls you in bondage 
to do what He's created you to do, to do what He's called you to do, to do what He's made you to do. And there's a freedom in that. But make no mistake about it, we're in a battle. And that battle is raging today. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might and put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Are you standing today against these schemes, particularly that of liberty and freedom? No boundaries. Free from constraint. Nobody gets to tell me anything. I can do whatever I want, and there's no consequence for that. I don't even have to live according to created order, and nobody can do anything about it. I've got news for you. God always does something about it. And either gives you over to those passions, or He rescues through you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in a battle, and we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Some of you are waging that war today. Therefore, Paul says, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Verse 13, Galatians chapter 5, for you were called to freedom. He's talking about believers He's talking about people who were once in bondage to sin and the passions of the flesh. He's talking about believers who, who once had rejected all kinds of boundaries and were living this libertine kind of life and doing their own thing without any recognition or acknowledgement of God. And he says, you, you people were called to freedom. And these believers in a fallen world were called to freedom in a positional kind of way. We're not talking about positional this morning. We're talking about practice. But while we're here, we'll talk about it. Do you know that because of Jesus Christ, you are free from sin? Do you know you're free from the penalty of sin? He's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. Do you know that you're removed from the condemnation of your sin in Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're removed from the influence of the world and the flesh and the devil? Do you know that you've been rescued by a righteous and holy God who, who calls you to Himself and gives you a, a, a freedom that is reflected in our fear of God, our reverence and respect for His laws and His order and His expectations? Do you know that you are called to freedom in Christ that allows you now, as you used to fight this flesh, to willingly submit yourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? the principles of the Word. There's great freedom in Christ. It is the response to the bondage that is in this world that leads to, to, to a deadness and, and, and a distinction of unhappiness. I find it so interesting that the more this libertine freedom is championed, not just in the world but in the church today, the more miserable people become. We are the, one of the most medicated generations of all time. I thought libertine freedom was going to lead us down a path where we'll all find fulfillment. Why isn't that happening? Because it's not the way God made it to be. You understand that? It's not, it's not the way He made it to be. Nobody gets that. There is a God, and by the way, you're not Him. He sets the rules. He sets the order. He calls us to obedience. You, as believers, are called to freedom from sin and penalty and condemnation and the self and the world and the devil and the flesh. Brothers, 
that oneness and unity under the bond of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This calling for, for, to freedom is a glorious thing. And now as we're called to this freedom and understand forgiveness and, and, and understand the filling of the Spirit and understand how God expects us to live, we make choices. And in the calling to this freedom, he says, the choice that you need to make is to not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We're not talking about positional freedom now. We're talking about practical freedom. The believer who is called to freedom, what are they called to? How are they supposed to live? How are they to exercise this freedom? You'll never lose your freedom from sin. You'll never lose your freedom from condemnation. You'll never lose your, your freedom from the world and the flesh and the devil. You'll never lose your perspective that a better day is coming. But as you live out that freedom, what does that look like? Well, here's what it doesn't look like, and this is where Paul starts. Freedom doesn't look like using that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, the libertine freedom that says there's no constraints, there's no rules, I get to do whatever I want, I am the king of the castle, I, I am the author of, of, of my domain, I get to do anything I want to do without consequence. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's never what the Bible has taught. In fact, true and genuine freedom is not an opportunity to serve our flesh, the sinful inclinations of fallen man to indulge. Everybody look up here. This is not your Christian liberty. I get so sick and tired of hearing that term. It is my Christian liberty now to drink and get out, go out and get drunk because I'm free in Christ. No, you're a fool. You're a fool. Because you can't be free in Christ and a drunkard because the Bible says, don't be a drunkard. You follow me? You don't, you don't have libertine freedom. I don't have libertine freedom. As we wrestle with this truth and our calling to freedom, instead of serving self, here's what he says, we're to serve one another. In other words, instead of my whims, instead of my beck and call, instead of my demands, I'm free to serve my Savior. And even worse, at least we perceive it this way, it gives me a shudder sometimes, I'm free to serve you. I don't want to serve you. I don't, I don't want, that's not freedom at all. That's not freedom for me to serve you. That, that's just crazy. You see, it's not crazy. It's countercultural. It's Christian. It is the result of our faith and our call to freedom. We are free to serve each other. Now, you see, I tried that. It doesn't work. I served other people. They just take advantage. They get burned. They hurt me. You see, you're missing what Paul's trying to say here. You're missing an understanding of of true freedom. Well, real quickly, take your Bibles and go back to First Peter in our study. Let me show you some of the things that you are free to do through your calling to freedom in Christ Jesus. Now, this is where the application becomes really important in months of study in First Peter. Did you know that in your calling to freedom, you are called to holiness? Look at chapter 1, verse 13. 
Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You're no longer the person you used to be. And even if you lived in libertine freedom back then, you cannot do that now. You are called to freedom. You are brothers in Christ, and you are to use that freedom to serve each other, verse 14, as obedient children, not conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He was called, you was holy. You should be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. We have a freedom toward holiness. Did you know before you were saved, you had no such freedom? In fact, as much as you tried, you could never achieve a standard of holiness. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. There's nothing that would make you likable and attractive to a, to a holy and righteous God. But today, today that holy and righteous God has, has chosen you, and He's rescued you, and He's given you freedom, and that freedom is to become conformed to His image. Now you no longer are bound to sin. You're freed from the power of sin. Now you can live the way God made us to live according to His rules. And some of you are still thinking, that's not freedom. I don't want to live according to God's rules. I want to live according to mine. And I begin to wonder about the God that you serve. This is not the God of the Bible. We're free to live a life of holiness, no longer in bondage to sin. Uh, Peter says in the text, we are free. In fact, we are called to put away all malice and deceit. He says that in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Why? Because that's your former ignorance. Grow up, he says, into salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Then bask in His freedoms and let go of your libertine notions. We are called to freedom, and that calling to freedom is that calling to abstain from and the ability to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Look at verse 11 in chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, this is really important. Just because you're freed from the power of sin, just because you're freed in, in your life in Christ for, uh, to, to live a life of holiness does not mean you're out of the woods. The truth of the matter is we still have sin that's in this flesh. Because there's sin still in our flesh… And thank God that will be taken away when we see Him and become like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There's going to be no more battle taking place. But, but as long as we have sin that resides in this flesh, we have to actively pursue to, to put that to death, to destroy that, to not give in to that, in fact, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. It implies that those passions are still there, rooted in our flesh. But it equally implies… They can't control you. You are freed from this body of death and sin. That's what true freedom is. Even though I have these urges, I don't have to follow up on these urges. I have freedom in Christ. Really important principle. Did you know that Peter even talks about the freedom to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution? Chapter 2, verse 1. 
your freedom to willingly submit yourselves even to tyrants who God has put in positions of authority over us because we don't serve those tyrants. We serve the Lord Christ. You follow me? Sometimes in our libertine freedom, we've convinced ourselves that we know better than God. You don't. The people that He puts on thrones and the people that He takes on thrones are His business and His business alone. And we can willingly submit ourselves and our freedom to these people because they're not the end all. We know that it is God who placed them on the throne. It will God It'll be God who takes him off the throne, and we know today in our freedom who sits on that throne, don't you? Who makes all things new, who establishes and maintains an order to creation and gives us this amazing freedom sometimes to swallow hard and say, okay, God, I trust you. You know what you're doing. I will submit to these crazy leaders because I know you're the one who sits on the throne. You know how freeing that is? It frees you from sitting in front of the TV every night, wringing your hands, saying, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, what are we going to do? Don't worry about it. God's got it all under control. That's freedom. I have to worry about it. That's freedom. doesn't mean I'm ignorant. doesn't mean I pretend it's not there. doesn't mean I, I just kind of pass it along. No, we have this amazing freedom not to let the world affect us because we know that God is on the throne. That's an amazing freedom. That's absolutely contrary to the libertine freedom that is so champion in our culture today. Did you know you have the freedom to be subject to your masters in the workplace? Oh, we love that one, don't we? It says the same thing here as he continues on through this text. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good but, and gentle, but also to the unjust. Are, are you kidding me? Pastor Jim, that's not the kind of freedom I was looking for. The kind of freedom I'm looking for is to go up to my boss and say, you can't tell me what to do. That's the kind of freedom exercise in our world today, and that's why our culture and civilization is crumbling before our eyes. You know what we have freedom to do? Even when treated unjustly and persecuted, we have freedom to be submissive with the belief that God knows. He knows. He knows the end from the beginning. He's going to sort it all out. There's an order to culture, and I, and, and, and I can't deny that order. And liberty and freedom, I can't reject that order, the moral order, the social order, the, 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 the ethical order of the cult. I, I, I can't ignore that. God's got it. You say, how is it freedom to submit to somebody else? <laughs> the freedom is in submission to Christ, not to somebody else. That's where we get it backwards sometimes. You think that submission is to a person. No, God is calling you to freedom and submit to Him. And He's asking you to let Him take care of everything else. It's hard for us to do, particularly as the world gets more and more evil. Did you know that you are called to freedom, and that means that you are called in relationships to submission? 
Do you know that the Bible says, wives submit your own husbands as, as to the Lord? Husbands and wives submit as unto the Lord. Did you know that children are to be obedient to their parents? Whatever happened to that? Here's what Paul said. Those things will go by the way in latter times. At the end of the day, nobody's going to be submissive to any kind of familial relationship. No kind of filial relationship. We're going to reject all kinds of order in marriage and in the family, and people are going to live a libertine kind of life. What does that lead to? Ultimate chaos. And we have a generation of young people paying the price for that today. You say, but I don't want to submit to my husband, and I don't want to submit to my boss, and I don't want to submit to our leaders. God has called you to submit. He has called you to freedom. He has called you to do the right thing and let Him take care of everything else. But even in the church today, we want to turn upside down the freedom that God's given us in a libertine kind of way where wives say, I don't have to submit to my husband. Where children say, I don't have to obey my parents. And I'm here to say, God has a different order than your libertine freedom order. In fact, He has so set you free, you can submit to your husband. And you can submit to, to leadership, and you, and you can submit to government authorities, and you can submit in the workplace, and you can do all of that because God is taking care of everything else. Liberty and freedom, true freedom, that's the freedom of you and I not having to worry about all of these human relationships, and just trust God that He's going to do the right thing at the right time for His glory. And by the way, the right thing doesn't always equate into what we want that would be the libertarian freedom that we reject. Do you have freedom in Christ? You know what it's like to, to maintain those relationships? You know, Peter said to have true freedom in Christ means to suffer for righteousness' sake. And that's why liberty and freedom is so appealing even to the Christian today. So we don't want to suffer for anything. We want it to be our kingdom and our domain, and we want people to cooperate with us. We've got such a chip on our shoulder, even as Christians, that we negate the order that God has created for culture. And submission to the Lordship of Christ will bring a different perspective on all of these other aspects of life. Will you get hurt in this world? It's a rhetorical question. (laughs) If you've lived beyond the age of 12, you know you're going to get hurt in this world. But why not juxtapose that against the glory that is revealed for me in heaven, the freedom from sin and the penalty of sin and condemnation? When I I hold those up, boy, this, this, this hurt loses its, its sting. It loses its power and authority in my life, and I yield to the Lordship of Christ, even if it means to suffer for righteousness. You know where the believer is going to suffer most for righteousness? When we stand up and say, wait a second, that's not right. There's an order to the culture. Boys are boys and girls are girls. So, oh, that's so simplistic, Pastor Jim. We live in a complicated world. No, you live in your father's world. Let's uncomplicate it. Male and female created he them. I'm tired of the argument, quite frankly. There's no place for it in the church. You don't get to make the rules. 
God makes the rules. And we have a freedom to live in the world that God has created, not to create our own world and fashion it after our own desires. No, when we call out this world, we will suffer for our righteousness, but we have freedom to speak the truth, to cease from sinning. According to chapter 4 of Peter, verses 7 and 8, the last text that we looked at, and we'll return to this in the coming weeks, we have freedom in the end of times to be self-controlled and sober-minded. That's the real nature of freedom. See, for the believer, we have freedom to serve Christ and to live accordingly in all of these domains that he speaks of in chapter 2 and 3. Not freedom from that order or freedom from that structure or liberty and freedom to do whatever we want to do and to live in any way we want to live. Oh, you can do that, but there are dire consequences to it, and you will be in bondage the rest of your life, and it will destroy you. And I can give you countless examples. I can name names. I won't. I've seen too many Christians fall prey to this libertine kind of freedom, cast off all constraint, and ultimately cast off the lordship of Jesus Christ and worships the creature more than the Creator. Do you know what you're freed from? And do you know what you're freed to? To live soberly and righteous in this present age. You know what happens when you don't do that? Look what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. But if you don't serve each other, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, if you don't use this opportunity of freedom to live soberly and righteous and self-controlled and sober-minded, but serving your flesh, you will bite and devour one another, and eventually you will be consumed. That is our nation, and that is the church today. For if you're not serving and loving each other, you are serving and loving yourself. And there is utter destruction consuming in that. Oh, I know, someone will retort with Christian liberty. Well, the Bible says all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. It says I can do anything that I want. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. And that's been lost even in the church today. So, what does Paul tell them to do? But I say, so in the midst of all of this wrestling, the spiritual warfare between liberty and freedom, I will do what I want and nobody can tell me what to do, to true Christian freedom, I will live and abide in the order of creation under the lordship of Jesus Christ. How do I do that? How do I make those decisions? He says, verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a war. Paul says it's in our members, in our our flesh. (laughs) We still have these selfish, libertarian desires And yet our minds have been made new, and now we have this freedom from those libertine desires to live soberly and righteous and self-controlled and sober-minded, and we have to make a choice. 
And the choice must be made within the spirit because you and I, in and of ourselves, and our own fleshly power, have no way to combat these draws of the flesh. They're powerful draws. They're consuming. They'll place you in bondage and never let you go. So he says, in order to, to, to live in true freedom, you need to walk and abide in the Spirit, verse 18. And if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If the Spirit of God is moving, if the Spirit of God is helping you to understand this freedom, if the Spirit of God is, is working in your life, you will not show the signs of these works of the flesh sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery and enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and envy and drunken orgies and and things of the like. I warn you, I've warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some of us made this grave error of believing that Jesus died to save me from the penalty of sin, the condemnation of sin, the consequence of sin. And He saved me to live whatever way I want to, secured, and the forgiveness that comes only in Christ. But that's not a biblical principle at all. And if indeed you are saved from the penalty of sin, the consequence of sin, the bondage of sin, the ultimate penalty of sin, you are saved to live, not according to libertarian freedom and the works of the flesh, but according to the way God has made you. A number of years ago, I ran across this quote, John MacArthur, excuse me, John Piper, in his book, The Only Way to God. There's no such thing as a mere escape from hell. Rescue from the worst and longest suffering can only be called mere by those who don't know what it is or don't believe it's real. How does that apply today? For Christians who want to insist on their Christian liberty disguised as libertine freedom and this do anything you want to do because there are no laws and constraints and nobody can tell me what to do, It's not real freedom, and you don't have a grasp on what Jesus did for you. You have no concept of the glorious freedom that you have in Christ. You have no concept of of His goodness and His blessing and promise. But Pastor Jim, my life is hard. Everybody's life's hard. That's a result of sin. We don't live in this horizontal perspective. We live in this vertical perspective vertical perspective, and we understand that freedom, and we grab onto that freedom, and we know that it's not just a mere escape from hell, it is a freedom from anything and everything associated with hell, our sin and these fleshly desires and everything that Paul mentions to the church at Galatian. Those who live, those who, who claim to escape from hell through the freedom that comes in Christ, but remain in their bondage to these fleshly things, and Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice these things, those who live a consistent, habitual life, not those who struggle because we all struggle. And for those of you who don't, pride cometh before destruction. 
Boy, are we weak people. And we all struggle with something. But because we're free, we struggle to put away those former things and to live under the lordship of Christ to these glorious things. And it's a battle day by day. But you know, the older I get, the bigger God becomes and the more glorious heaven is <laughs> when I realize I don't have the energy anymore to fight this crazy flesh in the world and the, and the devil. But I have the Spirit of God, and if I walk in the Spirit, I can say no to the desires of the flesh. And even though it's a battle every single day that I get weary of, a better day is coming, and everything's going to be okay. Don't let that get wasted just on us old folks today. Young people, listen to me. There is a better way, and it's always God's way. And stop falling for the big lie of libertarian freedom. You are free indeed in Christ, but not to do what you want to do, what He has made you and created you to do in His glory. Kevin DeYoung says, in the end, the Great Commission must be the mission of the church for two very basic reasons. There's something worse than death, that is death in this lifetime. It is eternal death. And there's something better than humans flourishing, your freedom to do whatever you want to do. And what is that? It is the freedom that we have in Christ. And how does that look? But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, and against these things there is no law. In other words, you want to live a life without constraint, freed through the blood of Jesus Christ, you want to really experience freedom, well, then these are the things that God has called you to do. And by the way, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's singular. Some of you want to go through this list and say, I like that one, I don't like this one. You don't get to pick and choose. Those who are truly free are those who live according to verses 22 and 23. For those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Sin doesn't reign over us anymore. And now our affections and our longings and our passions are towards God and not the flesh. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Do not love the world, John says, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now listen carefully. Do you know today in Christ you are free to live within the fruit of the Spirit, to say no to the passions of the flesh, to submit even to the wickedness and the rulers of this world, knowing that your King sits on the throne and everything's going to be okay. There is no greater freedom than that. And young people, listen carefully. 
the world will tell you that the only freedom that's afforded to you in this world is a freedom from restraint and a freedom from rules, a freedom to live any way that you want. Let me tell you, someone who's lived a little, a little longer than you, it is not freedom at all. It is freedom that in the end is just a bondage that will destroy your life, draw you away from your Savior, and rob you of an opportunity to live self-controlled and sober-minded in this present, present, present world. You've been told a lie. Oh, by the way, it was a lie from the beginning. Don't, don't you remember, Adam and Eve? Is this what God said? God's just afraid that if, that if you don't do what He tells you, if you exercise what? Your libertine freedom to, to eat whatever you want to eat, that you're going to become like… That's the same lie being told today. To reduce Christianity either to a program of social welfare, a program of personal redemption with no consequences day to day, results in a truncated gospel that is a profound distortion. When you've come to Christ, you've come to true freedom, and that means you say no to libertine freedom. Coram Deo, before the face of God. How will you live in this corrupted culture? as one who is truly free. Have you experienced the reality of the words of Jesus? And He shall set you free, and you shall be free indeed. Some of you are spending all of your time worrying about what you can't do and forgetting all of the things that you've been provided through our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the difference between freedom to and freedom from. To the glory of God, may we live a life of freedom in a world of bondage that casts off any kind of order, structure, and constraint. And even if we suffer for that righteousness, may our God be glorified. Father, thank You for the opportunity to gather in this place, for Your goodness to us, for the promises of Your Word, for allowing us to be able to tell the difference between libertine freedom and the freedom that we have in Christ. God, help us to battle every single day. But there's something far better that we have in Jesus Christ. May we live according to that freedom. For your glory alone, Coram Deo, before the face of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.